been waiting for you, Miss O'Neill. What? Am I behind on my Sony payments again? <laughs> Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble, Miss O'Neill. I deliver a message. <laughs> Shut it. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. Tonight's movie, special to a lot of people, I'm betting. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990, the first live action one. My guest this evening, I've never, this is going to be different because I've never sort of put the call out to the public for like, I don't, I, I don't know who to be the guest for this because I, I figure there's tons of people who would want to do it. And people whose opinion I trust, amongst my mutuals, said, this is the guy you need to talk to. Aaron Cook, how are you this evening, sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. So what is it What is it about, I'll get into my history with Ninja Turtles in a minute, but what is your, why did they point me to you? What is, what is it about Ninja Turtles that you're the guy I should be talking to? Um, I guess we've got some mutual friends on Twitter that just know I'm a huge fan of Ninja Turtles. I've, I've been a, a really big fan all my life. So yeah, I've seen, I've seen the movie. I've seen all the movies, of course. I've seen, you know, all the cartoons. So I've, I guess I just have a, a pretty solid background in, in Ninja Turtle lore or what have you. <laughs> it's all right. So you've kept up with like the current incarnations and stuff too, because there's been a lot of different versions of Ninja Turtles. And I think that's something that is very cool about Ninja Turtles is that I, the only other thing I can think of is maybe Transformers that it has since it came out has never gone away. Like there's always been some new version of it from then to now. And then yeah, there's, there's certainly been a lot of incarnations of Ninja Turtles. I'm sure that there's something out there I haven't seen. I wouldn't claim to have read every comic or anything like that, but I've read a lot of the current IDW stuff. Um, yeah, seeing, you know, the different cartoon movies with Batman versus Ninja Turtles and um, the Turtles Forever movie. Some of that stuff's really, really good Turtles content if, you know, the listeners are, are looking for more after, you know, you see the 1990 movie and you think, oh, that's so cool. You know, where do you go from there? There's There's lots more content out there. So I'd point to some of that. So do you like, do you like the Michael Bay ones as well? The new movies? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to badmouth anything, you know. <laughs> That's very nice there. of you. The first Michael Bay movie, I think, at least works. I think the first one is at least entertainment. Um, the second one I watched relatively recently, and it's it's certainly not for me, but I know other people enjoy it, and that's great, you know, because it's it's always good when, you know, people appreciate, you know, any sort of the media because – Personally, I would love if they would keep making more Ninja Turtle movies, you know, regardless of who's in charge of the project, I guess. But See, that's you know, a so. great attitude that I wish more people online had. It's not for me. Maybe the next one will be, but it's for somebody, and somebody will enjoy it. Yeah. Not enough people understand that. Like, grown men crying because they don't like what She-Ra looks like now. Like, you ever cared about She-Ra when you were a kid? Like, come on. What do you care? Like, that's right. for little girls. It's not for you. So I kind of feel the same way about Star Wars at this point, which is that like if one comes out and it's great, great. I love Star Wars. If it's bad, it's not going to ruin my year. Like maybe the next one will be better. Yeah, absolutely. So what is it about Ninja Turtles that still, because I don't know how old you are. I'm 43, so I was very much, they were huge when I was 
young. Yeah, I'm 35, so it was okay. kind of the same, pretty big when I was young. But you stuck with it to a degree, probably more than I have. Ninja Turtles is something that I, I loved like crazy when I was a kid, and just kind of outgrew at some point. I don't wish them ill. I don't. I don't dislike them. There are some things from my childhood that I've gone back to, and I go, "Oh, well, that's terrible," and I was a stupid kid for ever liking that. Ninja Turtles isn't that. I'm just kind of indifferent to them now. I'm glad they exist. I just don't have time in my day for them anymore. <laughs> so it's good to have okay. somebody who's still like go ninja go. Yeah. Uh, that's that's definitely me. So that's probably what the people on Twitter were thinking when they pointed in my direction. Well that's good. Because something like like Thund actually more than Ninja Turtles, I loved Thundercats when I was a kid. And I went back yeah. when that finally came out on D V D when I was like nineteen years old. I went out and rented the first season, and I got an episode and a half in before I took it back to the store because it was unwatchable garbage, and I could not <laughs> yeah. believe it. I've seen some of the old Thundercats. I think I've got a few episodes on the DVD too, and it's uh, it's it's hard to watch. And I also was a big fan of Thundercats when I was younger, so I can completely relate to that. Yeah, it does does not hold up. I feel like Transformers holds up pretty well. GI Joe, not so much. And Ninja Turtles, for what it is, if you're coming into it knowing and appreciating what it is, that it's this goofy, you know, that probably holds up a little better than some other things, too. Yeah. I think the 1990 movie, specifically, I think it really does hold up. I think it was stands the test of time. Just, that's my opinion of it overall. See, and I need to, I rewatched it today when I took my notes. And I wanted, I kind of want to rewatch the second one now as well, because... I know when I was a kid, I actually liked the second one better than the first one, which I know is a controversial opinion with the vanilla ice and everything. But for me, it was it felt like it was closer in spirit to the cartoon was, you know? It was like sort of brighter and goofier, like it embraced, it wasn't trying to be dark at all, it very much was embracing. So I kind of liked it better, but I wonder how I would feel now as a grown man. <laughs> Yeah, you should watch it again. It, I mean, I think that the second movie also holds up. I, I watch them not, you know, infrequently by any means. And I've seen the second one probably more recently than most people. And I think the second one's a lot of fun. It, Like you say, it has a different tone. But it also, I think, holds up really well. And I feel like that first fight scene in the second one in the toy store is better than any fight scene in this first movie. Yeah, and it's... From my like, memory, it, anyway. If you're looking for something that's similar to like the 1980s cartoon where it's everything's a little bit wacky and zany and stuff, then yeah, there's there's a lot to be said. The fight choreography in the second movie, it seems like you know, they probably had a bigger budget. They probably had, you know, a little bit more money to spend on, you know, fight choreography and stuff like that. So anyway, it, I would if you're curious about it, if you'd like to see, you know, oh, what does it still stand up and everything? I'd say definitely give it a try. I think you'd like it. I probably will, because, yeah, I, def I feel like this first movie, they were really kind of flying by the seat of their pants, low budget. They just built these suits and, you know, making them even work on the day when they're trying to film was a chore. So by the time they made the second one, they had that experience under their belt to where it was probably a lot smoother for the stuntmen. It was a lot, you know, choreography was probably easier and things like that. So, yeah. All right. I got a little bit of uh, trivia about the movie here. It only cost it cost thirteen point five million dollars to make and made one hundred and thirty five million. It was until the Blair Witch came out the most successful independent film of all time. That's something. Nope. I don't know. Yeah. 
um, because they just went and just made the movie. It wasn't, you know, made for, like for Disney or anything, and they shopped it around. Paramount turned it down, Warner Brothers turned it down, Disney turned it down, and it was New Line, sort of the new kid on the block, that actually bought it and put it out and reaped the benefits from it. Because they say that New Line's the house that Freddy built, but Ninja Turtles helped <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's interesting that that many studios went, no, no, Ninja Turtles, what are you talking about? Because the show was already a success at this point, so I don't know why they would be hesitant, but... Yeah, that's kind of surprising. So this movie is directed by a fellow named Steve Barron, who has done some other movies. He did uh, the Coneheads movie. He did that Merlin TV miniseries with Sam Neill. And he did The Adventures of Pinocchio, the one with Martin Landau and uh, GTT, Taylor Thomas, whatever that kid's name was. But what's impressive about this guy... He was a music video director, and a lot of film directors start out that way. But the list of iconic music videos that this guy did is actually crazy. I'm going to read some off now. I'm going to start with the mellow ones and end on the big ones. He did Natalie Cole's Unforgettable. He did Don't You Want Me by The Human League. He did two James Bond theme songs, For Your Eyes Only by Sheena Easton, and uh, the AHA one, Living Daylights. He did Toto's Africa and Rosanna. He did a bunch of Brian Adams videos, Cuts Like a Knife, Run to You, Heaven, and Summer of 69. That's the big one. He did, but you're talking about iconic music video visuals for that for the 80s. Money for Nothing by The Dire Straits. Take On Me by AHA, which is maybe one of the most iconic videos, period. And Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. That's an impressive list of music videos. Yeah, it really is. And then he did Ninja Turtles in some other movies and kind of hasn't done a whole lot since, you know, he's no Dave Fincher, that's for sure. But yeah, that's, that's, and it's, you can see how he got this job because that's, that's a pretty impressive resume as far as music videos go. But let's just dive into it. The movie opens with a news report on the TV, April O'Neil, everyone's favorite reporter, who's played in this movie by Judith Hogue, was replaced in the other two movies by Paige Turco. And I always assumed that that was because Hollywood being the shitty place it can be, that they wanted someone younger and hotter. But that's actually not it. Looking and doing a little research today, I found out that Judith Hogue complained a lot about the long shooting days. She hated the costumes. She thought the movie was too violent. And so she was not asked to come back. So she was, oh. I guess, in her way, difficult to work with as far as this movie's concerned anyway. So... I guess that's better. I, I feel better about that than her just being replaced because she wasn't good looking enough or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's the same end result, but. I feel like, again, it's been a while since I watched the other ones, so I don't know who who do you feel is makes the better April O'Neil? That's tough. Uh, I, I guess just learning now, I'm just now learning, you know, that those are the reasons she was replaced. Um, I really like her april o'neill um in the first movie i i think that the way the first movie is structured it uses april o'neill for a lot of exposition you know like the, the opening sequence is that news report where it's all exposition and it's all april and then later on in the movie she does it again when they go out to the farm so i think that the movie used her character really intelligently and so that kind of lends itself to me maybe liking her character her portrayal a little bit more Whereas in the second movie, she's 
she's present, but she doesn't have, you know, nearly the amount of agency or importance that she does in the first. So I guess that's true. Yeah. Personally, I would say I like her portrayal the best, but that could just be because it was, you know, the best portrait. It was, you know, the best script for a portrayal to, to get the legs under it. Yeah, she definitely good. had more to do. And I think she looks the part more too with the hairstyle and, she could have looked looked the part more. I guess they wanted to dress her exactly like the cartoon with the yellow jumpsuit, and she said, no, I'm not wearing yeah. that. So, I think that was just a choice, frankly. I, like, as a kid, I remember, you know, thinking to myself, oh, I'm so surprised that she's not wearing her yellow jumpsuit. But, like, I, I would say as an adult, that's probably one of the big reasons why the movie does stand up is because it wasn't quite that cartoonish. It, it kind of... They took it, it felt like they took it more seriously than that, I guess. And I think that was part of its success, in my opinion. Yeah, it's an interesting blend of the comics and the cartoon. Because there's things that they took from both and kind of smushed them together. Rather than being too precious about either one or the other. Yeah, she's reporting on the news about a, a teenage crime wave. And we get a montage of this teenage crime wave in action as stuff's getting stolen off the back of trucks when a guy's back is turned the funniest one is though there's an old lady on a fire escape watching her tv and she looks in her apartment for a second and when she looks back the tv's just gone yeah it's all ninja crime it's important you know that that's part of the montage is it's not just a crime wave it's ninja crime nobody even knows who these people are yeah and it's teenagers stealing teenager stuff they're not robbing banks they're taking like skateboards and tvs and boom boxes right. like <laughs> it's fairly yeah. innocuous crime spree and yeah they they steal all this stuff deliver it into the van and then it goes to the big central hub that we see a, a little while later where they just have all of their stolen memorabilia or whatever it is that they're taking just little trinkets more or less yeah shredder's base and his sort of right hand man tatsu they've made it into like a Pleasure Island from Pinocchio where teenagers are just hanging out smoking cigars and playing poker and they have like an arcade there and a skateboard park. So it looks like it would be a place to hang out though. So you can understand, you know, like if that's how they're getting kids in the door, it's an intelligent way. It looks like a pretty fun place to go. Yeah. I can see the appeal and you're not being asked to assassinate anyone like actual ninjas would do. So yeah. This is a very, I mean, just like the cartoon was, this is a very kid's version of what a ninja is, you know? Not They're not, like, you know, ruthless killers. <laughs> they're just kind of sneaky. And it seems to me, like, much more so than, like, ninja, the turtles and every, you know, like, they always very clearly follow, like, a, a Bushido code, you know, of honor and everything. So I guess the, like, the idea of, like, the ninja's, being sneaky and doing crime like that's that's clearly frowned upon in the movie like that's the whole reason why the foot clan is is cast as our villain you know in the opening sequence april is attacked by some hoodlums and for time and budgetary reasons this fight takes place in the dark um (laughs) when a raft's size comes flying in breaks the light bulb and we don't get to see what actually happens and that wasn't a stylistic choice because they literally didn't have time to shoot it so yeah but she is saved by someone and all these hoodlums are tied up 
Raph has left one of his sighs behind, which she grabs and puts in her purse. And he starts saying, damn, damn, I lost my sigh. I'm like, oh, okay. I remember as a kid being like, whoa. He said, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised he got away with that one. And they say bitchin' leader. I was like, all right, this isn't your grandpa's Ninja Turtles. <laughs> we follow the turtles down into the sewers, and we get the actual, when the logo comes up, it's the, it's not some new logo they made up. It's legit the cartoon logo. Yeah. From the cartoon show. So that's, yeah, it's that interesting, like, Raph was just saying damn, but now we have the cartoon logo, so it's like, is this the comic? Is it the cartoon? It's a little of both. The turtles look great as far as the, like, this is Jim Henson's workshop. This is, in fact, the last feature film that Jim Henson worked on. And he wound up being kind of reticent about it by the end. He thought it was more violent than he was expecting, and he didn't care for that. But he was proud of the work, and he should be, because the, the suits are pretty crazy. Because they had to get stuntmen and martial artists in them to perform... And then they had the animatronic heads on top, which I guess were so loud that when you were in the suit, it sounded like you were at the airport and planes were taking, like, it was an impossible situation to work in, but they make it work. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job. I I feel like the special effects is one of the, the great points of the movie. You know, all the practical effects is one of the main reasons that it, that it still holds up as well as it does. Because they look cartoonish, but also, like, real living objects because there was a plan in place at one time to make this like a, a who framed roger rabbit kind of movie where real people are interacting with the cartoon ninja turtles and that oh. yuck no thank you yeah that would have been a very different movie i guess there was also a plan where one of the first people who went to eastman and laird and pitched like we want to do the ninja turtles movie sell us the rights was roger corman and he wanted to do one with billy crystal bobcat goldwaith sam kinnison and Gallagher as the Ninja Turtles and just paint them green. Oh, can wow. you imagine what that movie would have been? <laughs> no, I I truly can't. I can't even begin to imagine that what that would have. That probably would have been the thing that killed the Ninja. Like we probably wouldn't have Ninja Turtles anymore if that had happened because that that, that would have been it. That's really possible. I can see that being the case. I feel like the the huge success of the first movie is one of the main reasons why the Ninja Turtles have had so much staying power, you know, for what they have had and have had, you know, all the different reincarnations. So yeah, I think if, if that, if they would have had some sort of bizarre, you know, people just painted green running around production, I don't think we would have, we definitely wouldn't be having this podcast right now. Uh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, it still could have come up. My movies are chosen at random. So I still could have, I guess if that movie existed, potentially I could have, but it probably wouldn't be on HBO Max because no one would care to watch it. Um, it would be a very different podcast then. We would be, we would be ripping into a movie pretty hard. Yeah. And you can't, I mean, you can't sell those toys. That's the big, I think, reason Ninja Turtles are still around is because those toys sell like crazy. Yeah. They always and have. The toy, yeah. The toys are definitely a cool tie-in or maybe the movies are a tie-in to the toy. Yeah. Maybe the, the toy came first for so yeah turtles are in the sewer where they live they have a little lair with master splinter who is a rat another pretty decent puppet not quite as impressive as the full men in suits with animatronic heads but this is more of a, a muppet type puppet but still pretty pretty good looking voiced by kevin clash 
which is uh, that's a problem nowadays. He did Elmo and then was outed as a a bad person. So, <laughs> um, Donatello is voiced in this movie only by Corey Feldman, big star of the '80s. Who I guess yeah. they they only paid him fifteen hundred dollars because he didn't know that it was going to be this big of a deal. Well, then they got a part because yeah, he he was a pretty big name, and that's why he didn't come back for the other two because he was like, oh, they ripped me off. I don't <laughs> I'm not working with them again. So yeah, Raph is very New York in a way that the other turtles aren't, and it's confusing to me. Yeah, they really did give him more of the New York accent. Um. One thing that I've heard, and this is just trivia that I've heard, so I can't even like give you a source or anything. But the uh, the stunt actors that were inside of the suits, they delivered all the lines, you know, in the scenes until they were voiced over, you know, in post probably. And the only stunt actor that was actually allowed to voice his character was Raphael. So the the actor that's in the suit is also the guy who voiced the turtle, or at least that's what I've heard. So it could be. That that's just his natural accent, honestly. Yeah, it's either it's either just Raph or it's Raph and Leonardo, where this guy in the suit also did the ADR for the voice. But yeah, Donatello definitely is different. Um, but then I think the guy in the suit wound up replacing Corey Feldman in the other two movies, so it worked out for him too. But yeah, he's very... None of the other turtles have a New York accent. Splinter doesn't have a New York accent. Splinter has a mildly offensive Asian accent. And he... But he's very like I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do an impression of it, but it's like a bada boom in New York, and you know, like that that yeah. guy. He's got it like, yeah, kind of like a Brooklyn accent. Like, how do you guys expect to beat me? Yeah, he's got like that that New Yorker style tone and delivery and everything. Which I don't and know. Yeah. I don't know where he would have gotten that. Because they have a TV down there, but they're watching like cartoons and stuff, and none of the rest of them learned to talk that way. You would think, isolated as they were, they would have learned to speak from listening to Splinter, so they would all have like an Asian accent. <laughs> I don't know where he got this from. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I never really explained that. I, I've always just taken it at face value. <laughs> Which is, I, I mean, probably the smart thing to do, but I overthink everything, so it does differentiate him from the other turtles. That's for sure. Yeah apart from just their weapons and the colors of their bandanas, as everyone knows. I was just going to say, the only thing that occurs to me is that, you know, there's, I, I don't really know how to necessarily put it, but some New York accents are seen as, like, a, aggressive accents, you know? Like, Brooklyn can be, like, an aggressive sort of something with the accent, and that's that's one of the central themes in Raphael's arc in the film is that, you know, he's he's the more aggressive of the turtles, so maybe they gave him that accent to kind of underscore that. That's something that could maybe be the case. I'm not sure. I'm just speculating. No, that's a good thought. And because Michelangelo famously has, like, the, the do the California surfer boy, so where would he have gotten that video? So Right. He's, yeah, the chill jokester. So Raph goes out at night. He's kind of the only one who goes out on his own. And he has the, tr- the the Ben Grimm trench coat disguise that doesn't work at all. Like, <laughs> all you, okay, he's in a trench coat and he has a fedora on, but if you look at this guy, he has a giant green head. Like, he's not, yeah. ninja invisibility is not his thing. 
and he's he's pretty well stuffed into that trench coat too like it's not like a well-fitting trench coat he's got a gigantic shell on his back like it, it's not he doesn't pass as even like a human silhouette inside of a coat he looks like a humongous ninja turtle stuffed into a trench coat but, yeah, and I would think even in New York, where people are pretty unfazed about shit on the street, if you saw him come out of the movie theater, you'd be like, oh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, that's, that's different. You don't see a huge Ninja Turtle in a coat every day. Uh, oh, well. So there's interesting. They ordered Domino's. There's Domino's all over this movie. Yet when the movie came out, it was Pizza Hut that had the tie-ins. You'd go to Pizza Hut and get Ninja Turtle every glasses and everything. So... Because they had already made the movie before Pizza Hut signed on, and so they just had to, I guess, just swallow their pride and go find Domino's is in the movie, but we get you at the restaurant. Like, it's a weird. Yeah, that must have been the case. They Domino's surely paid for that that product placement. Surely Domino's paid for that. So, Pizza Hut must have paid for the advertising after the facts. They must have. That is just bizarre, though. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I hadn't really ever considered. That's probably before the days that they really dove deep with like merchandise, you know, and pro- product placement and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, where they've got that shit on lockdown now. But, you know, it was the Wild West in 1990, I guess. Yeah, some 1990 low budget indie probably wasn't on everybody's, you know, huge list of things to pay attention to. Yeah, Raph is out. He took in a movie. He saw Critters. Um,. And he runs across some purse snatchers who, and you can tell that maybe they hadn't quite figured out how to do action stuff yet without damaging the suits. Because those are expensive foam suits these guys are wearing. Because he goes to trip these purse snatchers and they very clearly jump over his leg and are not tripped whatsoever. But they fall down as if he had tripped them. But I I think they just didn't want them to make contact with that leg, would be my guess. You can't, you can't risk the leg in the shot. You gotta have the suit. No, and we'll have coming up at some point in this episode. I'm gonna we're gonna take a little break. I I did an interview with a, a man named Hans Gilsdorf, who worked on the set of this movie, was a costume paint. He painted anytime the turtles got suits or shells got damaged, he had to repaint them. He worked in Jim Henson's workshop there in North Carolina, on the set of the movie. Yeah, he says they were always getting nicked up and banged up, so we'll we'll have that a little later. Here we get Casey Jones, who was always my favorite character when I was a kid. Between the high, he's a he's a sports vigilante, I guess is the best way to describe him. All of his weaponry is hockey sticks and baseball bats and golf clubs and a cricket bat and a hockey mask, and I just thought that was real cool when I was a kid. Yeah, and it's like. It's the definitive meeting, too. I feel like every other meeting between Raphael and Casey Jones, like it's, it's like the absolute definitive meeting of those two characters was in this movie. So it was a really excellent portrayal. Yeah, because it's actually it's Casey Jones is the aggressor here. He's like, hey, it's my job. I'm the vigilante around here. It's my job to take out these personage and punks. I don't know who you are or what you're doing here. And Ralph, who's usually you would think would be the more aggressive one, is like, I'm not looking to fight you, man. I was just doing... You know, well, nope, we're having a fight, so don't even worry about it. And they have a little tussle. He actually beats Raph and throws him in the trash can and then runs off. So good at what he does, I guess. Raph comes back to the sewer lair. And um, like any good parent, Splinter is sitting in the dark waiting for his kid to walk in so he can surprise him 
lights a match, and this hairy puppet is holding a lit match, which seems extremely dangerous to me, because that that hairy puppet would go up like a tinderbox. <laughs> That's surprising that they did that, really, yeah, uh, to risk the puppet. Probably not cheap to replace if they lit them up, so get get that in one in one take is my theory <laughs> there's uh well we saw a little earlier one of the foot clan teenagers that they've recruited is this kid named danny who turns out to be april's boss's son right um her mr pennington her boss is his son and he's yeah he's been inducted into the foot clan i don't know i i definitely like i don't know how i feel about this character i definitely like Ernie Reyes Jr.'s character, whose character name I can't remember, in the second movie, Better, who's like their human friend. Oh, Kino. Yeah, yeah I enjoy him more. Danny's kind of just a, a mopey. He always has a Sex Pistols shirt on. Like, he's just like a punk kid who's mad at his dad, so he's going to go be a ninja thief. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what the purpose of his character is. It's even in, like, the overall plot. He's, he's just kind of a superfluous character, but he serves to... To, to give April some sort of potential consequences for hanging out with the Ninja Turtles because it's a direct link between the Ninja Turtles, the Foot Clan, April, and her boss. Yeah, his purpose seems to be, as a character within the plot, his purpose seems to be the person that other characters follow to where they need to go, that they can tail him, because Casey tails him to the Foot Clan's lair, and then the Foot tails Danny back to the Ninja Turtles' lair. Yeah. So I guess they needed him for plot reasons. Is how do, how are they going to find each other's home bases? Well, yeah, the first time the foot find the turtles' base is when Raph carries uh, April back after she gets mugged in the subway, and they, you know she meets the Ninja Turtles for the first time and everything. That's true. We see that foot soldier tailing him in there. So Shredder, who we only see it from the back at first, is sitting in front of the supervillain wall of televisions of all different sizes except unlike Which most super... no i was just that's such a cool shot like shredder just his like introduction i was thinking about it earlier you know like in preparation for the show and i was just like thinking about how evocative of darth vader it is you know like the big reveal of shredder and his his character is just like this huge looming figure and everything so i i really thought it was evocative of darth vader and then later in the movie where he has that line you know, the Foot Clan is your family, and I am your father. So, anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just get really, I get excited for Shredder. <laughs> no, that's different. fine. I was just going to note that unlike most supervillains who would have a different thing on each TV, every TV is on the same channel. He's watching April O'Neil talk to the chief of police about the Foot Clan investigation and how it's going, which doesn't seem to be going very well, possibly because the chief of police is in on it. But yeah, the villains usually have a different thing on every TV so they can keep an eye on everything, but he's got all, every TV is the same thing. Yeah, so April, April is on TV chatting with the chief of police. In the background, we see Danny, her son's boss, getting arrested. Or he's already been arrested. He's in handcuffs and they're taking him into the police station. So he's, he's been caught, which will be important in a little while. April goes down to the subway. And here we kind of meet the first clan, the Foot Clan for real for the first time. Because they jump her down in the subway in the yeah empty subway <laughs> it made me it shouldn't make me laugh because it's terrible but it made me laugh the foot clan is like oh we have a message for you and she's like yeah what is it and he goes shut it and slaps her in the face just yeah. the way he said shut it especially in because it's clearly a white person doing 
a very cringy Asian accent, which is, that's bad news already. But just him saying, like, his, he's changing his L's to R's and his R's to L's, and it's, it's not good. But, yeah, and he just slaps her in the face and says, shut it, which shouldn't make me laugh, but it did because he sounds so weird. She's saved by Raph once again. This time we can see it. The lights aren't out. He beats up these Foot Clan guys and decides to, because she's been knocked unconscious, decides to just bring her home with him, which I don't, maybe not the best. You're putting a lot of faith in a reporter whose job it is to find out the truth and expose things to bring her to your secret lair is <laughs> maybe putting a little trust, more trust than you should in someone you don't really know. Yeah. Or maybe it's just not the most well thought out plan, you know? Well, he is the hot, he's the hothead, so. Yeah. And they kind of all have the hots for her instantly. Which, yeah. Which I which get. Is, but yeah, it. I guess maybe it's just like a, a wink at it or something and then you know at least it's not something that they dwell on no and that's where that's where because i didn't remember the movie very well so watching it i was like oh god please tell me <laughs> please tell me she hooks up with casey jones or someone and not one of these ninja turtles because a never mind that they're ugly monsters but they're also 15 years old right they don't sound like it they don't look like it but they're 15 years old and that's not okay no i don't know so... i guess i don't know what the rules are age of consent wise for interspecies relationships but it's probably not great either way yeah i, I don't even think that age enters into the rules for that <laughs> i think that the rules for that supersede age yeah it, we find out later that you know casey does end up with april so they made the right choice yeah it worked out i'm glad they didn't go there because the tur the all the turtles are like oh she's such a fox she's such a babe Ooh, i like her so much like so i got a little worried but they, they did the right thing she wakes up, freaks out because she's. We've already seen she's scared of rats, and now here's a giant talking one. She thinks yeah. she's dreaming or dead, because there's these four turtles and this talking rat. But they get her calmed down, and again, you just met this person. I know you need to explain something to her so she stops freaking out. But he lays out their entire origin in, and it's kind of a cool flashback because they like shot it in Super 8, so it looks like old home movies, but it's just this little rat puppet and little baby turtle puppets. Yeah. So it's interesting looking. A change here from the cartoon, and I think this is probably how it is in the comics, but I actually like it. it to me, it makes more sense the way they do it in the cartoon. In the cartoon, Splinter is a man who became a rat, which is how he knows martial arts. In this movie, he is a rat who watched his human master do martial arts and learned it on his own and then became a man rat. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it just kind of varies from from incarnation to incarnation because in the comic book in the idw comic book they're all reincarnated people who are now animals so it's kind of like you get what you get with your origin story for the ninja turtles but you know they've got to get you from a to b somehow so splinter is a rat who learned martial arts and then touched the magical ooze and turned into a man <laughs> yeah I just, I just don't <laughs> know why is. It's weird that the cartoon explains it in a way that makes more sense to me. Like, a man who already knew martial arts who then became a rat. That makes sense to me. A rat, yeah. a normal rat learning martial arts before becoming a man? That's a little weird to me. But... <laughs> I guess it's just suspension of disbelief, you know? We're about to watch a bunch of Ninja Turtles oh. who... who. 
So <laughs> you gotta, yeah. I guess you just gotta give it to them. There is that. So they walk April home after this. They've gained her trust. She says she's not gonna tell anybody about them. They sort of walk her back through the tunnels to her place. And when they return to the lair, the place is trashed and Splinter has been kidnapped. So it's bad yeah, news not, for them. Like Raphael has his, his great big freak out where he, you know, screams really loud. And I really like the uh, the way that they shot that with like the the way the camera pans around Raphael and has like the shaking effect. I feel like it was a really just clever way to to use the camera work to kind of give that sense of loss of control. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of the only shot like that in the movie, so it really is specific to that moment. So it's you could tell there was a, a veteran video music director behind the camera for this. Yeah, he has some other really clever camera work that I had some notes on that we'll talk about later. But yeah, I really I'm a big fan of that shot. So turns out Pennington, April's boss, is apparently now being blackmailed because he's on the phone with the chief of police, who's like, "Hey, I got your son here." And we don't hear the whole conversation, but the gist of it we're to gather is that, like, hey, back off your reporting about the Foot Clan. Get April O'Neil off my ass, and I'll let your kid go. So Yeah, so Chief of Police is leaning on him, and he's got some leverage. So, you know, it it does almost beg the question of whether or not the Chief of Police is in on the, uh, the crime spree, but... Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's so much that he's working directly for the foot clan it's more that he's not doing a very good job policing the foot clan april o'neill's up his ass about it on the nightly news every day and he's yeah, tired of that's, it that's <laughs> that's definitely what we're told at face value so yeah that's we might as well just take it at face value not overcomplicate things so back at pleasure island the leader not tattoo or shredder but kind of the leader the welcoming committee guy for the teenagers is sam rockwell who I oh, did not know yeah. was in this movie. It's got to yeah. be, if this isn't his first thing, it's got to be one of them. He's very young, I, but he looks the same. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pull up his IMDb, but yeah, it, it has to be early in his career for sure. Yeah, here's where we really meet Tatsu, who's the bald. Yeah, he's like Shredder's right-hand man, and he's training with the kids and teaching them stuff, pretty happily knocking them down and beating on them and not really caring about it. And Danny has run away and is like for sure in the foot clan now like he's at the base says his dad doesn't care about him this and that Raph, master of invisibility that he is is on a rooftop kicking the air and screaming because splinter's gone and casey jones happens who was up on his own roof or fire escape or whatever happens to look across and be like what the hell is that? oh it's that guy again with binoculars yeah. so Raph is really terrible at not being seen by people and then we don't really see this fight start we kind of jump into the fight as it's already happening now raf has been jumped by the foot clan on what turned it's april's apartment's roof it's the roof of april's apartment building it turns out because the rest of the turtles are hanging out in the apartment with april april's boss comes by and so they're like hiding doing that's like their ninja invisibility hiding in plain sight so that he can't see them but this fight is going on on the roof because Raph gets thrown through the skylight. He's outnumbered this time and is hurt very, he's very badly hurt. Um, his shell is like messed up. And so it's up to the three remaining turtles to try to fight off this 
small army of Foot Clan guys who have come to Avril's apartment, which winds up getting burnt down because one of the foot guys well there's a foot guy who runs into the room with an armful of axes like here guys sorry i'm late here's your axes yeah. and hands them out axe delivery guy he's just got like 10 axes yeah he's like everybody hurry and grab an axe get into this fight like thanks dean where were you 10 minutes ago we could have used you yeah. <laughs> but one of the foot out. guys swings and misses one of the turtles and hits like the electrical junction box or something and flat out electrocutes himself like this man is dead i don't care what you tell oh, me yeah. he is dead burns the whole building down there's no way he's like and that. starts the building on fire once they have the axes they start chopping at the turtles and the turtles of course are dodging out of the way so they're cutting holes in the floor to the point that when more foot guys come in the floor collapses so they've now fallen down through the f two stories now there's yeah, a there's a the axe guy shows up they're hanging out axes they're chopping around you know it's one of like the the biggest fight scenes in the whole movie and uh actually it's really the only big fight scene in the whole movie and yeah they chop through the floor fall into the basement and then that that's when the dude hits the uh conduit and starts the building on fire after they fall into the basement and then they all escape for their you know run for their lives casey jones shows up so yeah we've got we've got the whole team together they finally you know get the band back together with Casey Jones and the Turtles. Well, and Mikey has a, a cute little uh, nunchuck off with one of the foot, the foot guy comes in with the nunchucks is like, wow, you know, look at me yeah. showing off. And Mike's like, oh, you <laughs> think that's something? Watch me. And he's doing all kinds of crazy love... tricks, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's a cool scene. Um, yeah, and Casey Jones, right, like the cavalry arrives to help them out, and he's kicking ass. April's apparently surviving this fall through the floor is april o'neill's answering machine which no one but casey <laughs> hears her boss leaving her a message saying that she's fired yeah casey hears it on the way out right before the cord snaps from the fire and it bonks a foot soldier on the head so well, maybe that's like a a wink at the cartoon probably so they're about to retreat to april's farm i think this is as good a spot as any for us to to take a quick little break and uh i hope everyone enjoys the it's probably about 17 18 minutes um interview i did with hans gilsdorf who was there boots on the ground uh when this movie was made so uh enjoy that and we'll be back after that all right it's time for a special segment of the show um i have an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with well not face to face sadly that's the world we live in but um a man who was on the set of this movie, right? Yeah, I was. Many, many, many years ago, which is kind of weird to say, but yeah. Mr. <clears throat> Hans Gilsdorf, who, before we get into the Ninja Turtles of it all, designed a very cool statue that sits in front of the public library in my town, which I've seen many times, right? Yep. As well as every year on the lake shore, they do the ice castle. And you work on that too, as well, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually uh, the designer. That started uh, five, almost five years ago. Um, we were asked to har harvest uh, by by um, uh, Saint Paul to harvest uh, blocks of ice for a palace. To, they wanted to build it coincide with the Super Bowl. So if we think back when the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis, it's like, well, that was quite a few years ago, four years ago, I think. But uh, we we started working on that like about a year in advance. And uh, to 
how do you harvest 30,000 blocks of ice that none of us had ever harvested ice. And, right. And uh, so, you know, St. Paul was great, great information and uh, very helpful. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, their, their plans kind of, with us being involved, fell through. But we ended up doing our own palace. And then the city of Detroit Lakes asked us to continue with that tradition. And that's where we're at today is still designing and building ice palaces. And, and this past year with COVID, COVID, the setbacks and restrictions. We weren't Valentine's love seat, and we we put some more lights in the park, and and uh, and we're so we're gearing up. So the Palisade designed for this past year, which is to celebrate the past 150 years of Detroit Lakes. Uh, we're going to do this year coming up. So uh, I designed that. I designed the palaces like usually in May, June, and then we start with the construction and and the engineering phases and lighting for until we can actually harvest ice and build it in January. So. Very cool. Yeah, I have pictures of my children in front of both your ice castle and your statue in front of the library, and no idea that they were the same guy. <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the library sculpture that was a fun one that took a while to, uh, you know, we we met with the the board and and the librarian and and uh, to come up with an idea that would really kind of inspire and and uh trying to trying to connect with families and, and and something that would be fun for kids and um and that's where we ended up with was kind of like this large child that actually weighs the sculpture weighs 16 and a half tons of concrete and steel and um and you know and it's meant for kids to climb on and uh to experience and and uh have some fun with with public art because you normally they're they're told i love doing art where uh you know people are told don't touch this you know and um this is like, I'm like, no, 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 go, go experience it. Go have fun with it. You know, climb all over it. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because my kids have definitely climbed all over it. So, <laughs> well, That's good to hear. No, I'm like, that's, that's awesome. That's what it's about. Same with, same with I could do the ice palace. It's like, go experience it. You know, the ice is right out of the lake. We harvest it right out of Detroit Lake and put up on shore and, and people see it in a whole different light, uh, literally. And, um, and, you know, and we, we want them to experience it, you know. All right, well, let's talk Ninja Turtles. You, I, I have a feeling, based on, you signed off one of the texts that we exchanged with Go Ninja Go, so I have a feeling you are still, and you're probably a little bit older than I am, still really into Ninja Turtles. Yes? Well, yeah, yeah when you, when you, when you uh, that was one of the highlights of my film career. I, I worked in motion pictures for seven years, um, traveling the country as a freelancer. And um, that one, I, I, I think was, I think it's like the most iconic, uh, you know, and, and it was uh, a total surprise for me to get involved with it. Um, but I think it's the most endearing and, and the one I had had the most fun with. I mean, it was such a convergence of talent. And, uh, you know, you get Jim Henson's Creature Shop, uh, the Sesame Street crew out of New York. So you had England, English and American coming together. Uh, and then we had, uh, for the first one, uh, stunt fighters from China. So it was really just a, a convergence of a lot of talents and then a lot of the local talents in North Carolina at Coralco Studios. So obviously the cartoon had been out for a bit when when they were making the movie. Do you, but how aware of it were you at that time? Like, were you standing on set going, this is super cool, I'm, in, I'm working on Ninja Turtles? Or was it like, what is this? Like, what am I looking at? <laughs> It, the, the funny story was, is I was um, actually doing a, a uh, road trip to go see my old college buddy out uh, college. You know, I went to Arizona State University and, and I went to go out to New York to see my college roommate. And, and we were sitting there with this cousin we, and this cartoon came on, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon. And we're like, 
okay, what is this? You know, I mean, it was literally, okay, I don't, I'm, I'm not, okay, Ninja Turtles, okay. And uh, about four days later, I was on a movie working in Indianapolis, Indiana called Diving In. And um, a bunch of us had heard uh, this uh, movie that was going to be made uh, with turtles or whatever. We're, we still weren't sure about it, and then, but Jim Henson was involved. And, uh, you know, that totally, he was, he was a total hero of mine. Uh, you know, I grew up with the Muppet show, Sesame Street. And, and uh, I, I was very intrigued. And, and about a handful of us, the Grips and myself, I was one of the set painters um, on this movie. We uh, said, let's, let's road trip out to North Carolina, see if we can, you know, connect or get a job or whatever. So we ended up uh, just getting in the cars and driving through the night to get down there. And things were a little bit more lax than I'm sure what they are nowadays. So we were able to get onto the sets or into the studio, Krakow Studios a little bit. And I was able to meet some of the Creature Shop people. Um, and it was it was in the course of probably about two and a half weeks of living in hotels, living in campgrounds to, you know, cause our money was running out uh, to try to see if you can get a job to see whatever. And a few of the guys did. And um, one of my buddies, he ended up, he's a, a set painter. So he and I had worked on a few productions together. He actually ended up getting a job. So we had some money so we could afford like this small apartment thing, which was kind of cool on the beach. Things were cheap at the time, but nothing was happening for me. So I ended up like, you know, I got to go home. I got to go figure out what I'm doing in my life or whatever, you know, and I ended up driving back to Detroit lakes and the, the, I got home and about a half hour later, I get a phone call at my parents' cabin on Pelican Lake. And, uh, it was, uh, William Plant head of the Jim Henson's creature shop. He says, Hey, you still in town. We need a, we need a turtle painter. We need a guy to work with the turtle suits. And I'm like, uh, no, I said, actually, I, I actually just left. I said, I could be there tomorrow. He goes, perfect. Why don't you get back here? So I drove the 36 hours plus or whatever it was straight. Uh, and, and I ended up getting there at uh, five o'clock. We started filming, they started filming at uh, six o'clock or seven o'clock. Uh, so we had, I had breakfast and then went straight to work and worked 18 hour straight through, you know, so you drove 36 hours and then 18 hours straight because at the time the first engines is mostly at night. Yeah. And uh, so we filmed through them. It was, it was uh, North Carolina, I think uh, late summer, so it was really hot. So the nights proved to be a better time to film. And, and so that was kind of my arrival. And the first night in a creature shop working on, a, uh, they gave me a, a turtle shell to repair. Because these things, you, you know, it turns out we can talk about that after a bit of how damaged these things would get. Because it, it's a martial arts movie. Yeah. Um, so they gave me a turtle shell to, to fix and paint, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like this naive kind of moron at the time who whittled my way into this position. Um, but I had worked on movies and sets, so I knew how to paint, I knew how to sculpt, I knew all this stuff, but their products, their materials, and their techniques were way different than what I was used to. So I, I kind of had to ask a lot of questions and, and um, the people there were just excellent. They were very friendly, very nice, very helpful and guided me. And, and it really, when it, it was probably about two, 30 in the morning or something like that. And all of a sudden they said, yeah, we need Michelangelo's shell. And I said, where is it? We need it on set. And they said, well, Hans has it. And I'm like, and you know, and all of a sudden it's just like, you know, this whole, well, wait, that's my name. And I'm working, I'm working on the shell of Michael, you know, and that's where it really hit me. And they said, Hans, bring it down to set. And I'm like, what, where's the set, you know? And, and when I went down there, it was just this huge matrix of uh, sewers that they had made. And, uh, you know, life-size, full-scale, fully-dressed, water, everything. 
um, looked like the seediest sewers in the planet, and it smelled like a brand new house because it's a movie set. And it was just, but it was that moment that really just hit me, you know, that I'm like, oh, I'm on the set of Ninja Turtles with the, you know, puppeteers of Jim Henson, and and uh, this is mind blowing. And I got to sit there and they asked me if I wanted to sit and watch them film the the fight sequence or no, it's a skateboard sequence or something like that. Yeah, it was, that was, that was the moment where it just really hit me. And, it, and I'd had experience like the couple weeks before or a few weeks before when I was on the movie diving in in Indianapolis was we were filming a, a scene in a cemetery and uh, I looked across the cemetery grounds and by the fence and there's lots of people watching to see what was going on. And that's what really kind of hit me as well with, with motion pictures of I'm on the inside of the fence, not on the outside. So I'm being involved in making the magic happen. And again, it really hit me there with, with Jim Henson being in that sewer behind the cameras, watching the turtles do their scenes and, and uh, where it's like, I'm, I'm helping make the magic happen. I mean, that was really powerful for me. And you knew, you knew how big of a deal they were, or were you looking at it like, all right, this is cool and all, but who's going to watch, like, who is this for? <laughs> There's giant right, turtle, right. turtle man skateboarding around. Like this is going to yeah. bomb. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't, yeah, I, I, it, that hadn't sunk in yet, because as far as I knew, there was like a Saturday morning cartoon or something that we just stumbled upon. And I, I wasn't sure, I didn't you know if there was comic books out, and comic books had been out for quite a while. And um, and, and for me, you know, I was in my early 20s, and I was like, oh, this is just super cool, you know, and watching it. They had translators for the, you know, because we had, um, there, there, there's... Uh, eight turtles. So there's there's the four turtles that are actor turtles, and those are the ones that have the robotic heads and and the robotic, you know, the receivers and computers and all stuff for inside their shells. And then they had all the stuff up in their head that would make the eyes move, their mouths move, and whatever that the puppeteers behind camera are making them do. And then we had four stunt turtles. So we would we would have aluminum rods within their lips to mimic or their eyes to mimic the expressions of where they cut. And then, you know, if the turtle's grimacing or he's shocked, we can bend the mouth to look like that while he does this little fight sequence. So we had eight suits and and so there's just this whole conglomeration of just acting turtles, ninja turtles, stunt turtles, you know, um, and, and, and the stunt fighters in the turtle suits, the first movie were uh, from China, I believe. And so we had to have translators and, and, um, and so was, you had this whole, yeah, British talking, New York people, North Carolina people. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. It was so much fun. It was a blast. And then, I mean, they say that New Line Cinema is the house that Freddie built, but Ninja Turtles helped. Like that was a huge, huge movie. So to be able to, that's pretty cool to be able to look at that yeah. and go, oh, I painted that. Right. Yeah. It, you know, I think at the time, I think it, it when nerd, when Ninja Turtles came out i think it, i think it was like the highest grossing independent film at the time i think um yeah. so when when all that happened i was i was like blown away i was like wow and we only saw the results of it when it opened why well, i was like okay i was a part of something incredible here i mean i ever kind of started feeling that when you're talking with um the caliber of the talent that was there you know in the creature shop jim henson's um the sesame street the puppeteers uh the stunt fighters the costume makers i mean it, it's the set builders, I mean, everything was just incredible. So you knew, it didn't take very long to know you were a part of something that's quite amazing. And then when the results came out after the movie premiered, it was it was yeah, mind blowing to see how it, you know, the results of everybody seeing it. Well, and then Steve Barron, the director, who's mostly known for music videos, which doesn't sound like much until you look at what music videos he did. And it's 
it's like the aha video that everybody knows and Africa by right. Toto and Michael Jackson's yeah. Billy Jean. Like it's crazy. The music videos that guy directed. So right. I, yeah, I no, it was, cool. it was, it was a yeah, huge experience. And I remember the, the, the biggest moment of my time. And I think of my whole film career back when I was younger was um, I was in the creature shop and I had to kind of work through lunch because we had a big stun fight or something coming up. And uh, so I, I stuck around behind in the creature shop and I was working on, uh, you know, these suit parts would either come from uh, London, you know, in the, in the raw foam stage, we'd have to paint them to match, or we'd be repairing anywhere up to 16 to 20 suits a day, you know, because we had, they would have eight suits in the morning for, you know, four for the Mackie Turtles actors, four for the stunt turtles. And at lunch, they'd swap them out because they'd be so full of sweat and, you know, wear and tear. And uh, so my job there um, is one of the head turtle costume guys was to uh, repair these suits constantly to make sure they're camera ready. And uh, there's a whole process of getting the, you know, the actors into the suits, maintaining them on set with turtle, we call them the kind of turtle wranglers, you know, to help make sure the actors are okay in there. Um, and then once they came out, they'd take them off. We have to go into a drying room for quite a few hours to dry out. And then they'd come to me and other people that were with the cruiser shop and we'd repair them, get them ready for set. So this one day, I had to stick around. I had to get a couple of suits really ready. And, and, you know, and every one of them, what's interesting with the suits was, you know, you have the, the look of Michelangelo, Raphael, Leonardo, Donatello, and then each one as the movie progressed, whether they got bruises or nicks or dings, you know, we had to maintain that and keep that. And so you may find you have a suit that you pull from the drying rack that doesn't have that bruise on his cheek. Cause Raphael got just punched in that previous scene where he's getting beat up by the, by the, uh, the, the foot you know so you'd have to kind of do that well, anyway so i'm in the creature shop and all of a sudden i i heard what i i thought was kermit the frog and that's not normally kind of that surprising when you know these puppeteers would be in there every day rehearsing you know so you have these heads on mannequin heads on a table and across the way were, were all their you know controls and they'd be rehearsing and um so they would sometimes do them in their Muppet voices, or sometimes they do them in their Sesame Street voices, you know. And and um, one guy would mimic the count counting turtle heads, and just for laughs and fun. And but I also I heard like what I thought was uh, uh, Kermit the Frog's voice, and it was Jim Henson. And I had a one-on-one -on -one moment with him, and uh, he was the most gracious guy, um, and and just asked all kinds of questions. And uh, it was that was like the big moment for me was that one-on-one -on -one moment with him. I mean, I was just I, I still cherish that moment. Yeah, of course. That's I don't. Yeah. You, you should never have to buy your own drink again, as far as I'm concerned, with the story. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where you're like looking around, like, "Whoa, am I allowed to be alone with you?" And you know, and he came up and introduced himself, and you know, you're like, "Yeah, I know who you are." You know, but we sat and talked for a little while, and that was that was. Yeah, I hold that. I cherish that moment. Very cool. Yeah, that's. I, I don't have much else. It just it must be cool to be a part because Ninja Turtles is something that I think. It's probably only that and Transformers are the only two things I can think of that have, since they came out, existed in some form or another nonstop. Like G.I. Joe went away for a while, you know, right. things come and go, right. but there has always been a Ninja Turtles since 1980-whatever. Yeah, and, they, and they've had a lot of uh, variations of them, you know, the looks, whether they're CGI or cartoon or, you know, different kind of animated versions of them. And I, I was doing it. I was doing a talk and a, and a project with uh, the middle school some years ago here in Detroit Lakes. And the teacher had mentioned I worked on the movie, and the kids were like, "Ooh!" And that was at the time that the CGI version came out. Yeah. And uh, so she puts it on there, and I said, "No, no, it's not that one." And then they, she goes, "Oh, give me a sec." And then she found a video clip of the original, and the kids are like, 
what's that? And a few kids recognized it. And then I kind of explained it. I said, see, those are CGI turtles. The first ones, they're all computer. I said, these are the real thing. I said, those you could touch and see and talk to. And they're like, what? You know, and then the whole conversation changed. <laughs> and that's what's amazing is the technology and the creativity and the imagination of, of Jim Henson's was um, the ability to make these turtles come alive. And they're just robotics over the top of a human form and, and uh, the combination of the actor, the robotics with the puppeteer off camera was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was, they were so real even to me, you know, so I was really exposed to a lot. I'd worked in some great movies like uh, Glory. I played a Confederate sharpshooter in that one, uh, a Union artillerist and, and then uh, Young Guns too and stuff like that. But the, the magic of what Ninja Turtles was and, and what it did for kids and then to see that with the merchandising coming out and the costumes afterwards. And I think I saw one of one of the original suits was in a museum somewhere. And I was like, oh my God, that's that's super cool. And they, when I watch them, my girls still like watching it. And you know, they're they're in their 20s because I can tell them exactly where I was standing when it was happening. Hmm. I mean, that that's the cool thing is when I watch a movie. And then and then the biggest joke in their family is uh in the credits, they have my name under hairdresser. And um, as we all know, they're the only character that really was splinter and <laughs> That was Kevin Clash, and and uh, he was the puppeteer, and then it was Peter Brooks as the main wrangler for, for him. He's with he's with Jim Henson's Creature Shop, but uh, yeah, they had me under hairstylist <laughs> or hairstylist, yeah, hairdresser, and I was like, uh, yeah, came close. <laughs> well, I mean, April O'Neil has hair, and Casey Jones have hair. Other than that, they do, but yeah, we we didn't get to no, yeah. And you worked on Beastmaster as well. Is I worked on Beast Beastmaster two. Okay. Yeah, briefly. Um, I worked on that one briefly, making that big stone portal, that time portal or whatever it was. I, sure. uh, you know, I worked on that one briefly, and then I got uh, called away from that one. Um, uh, went to go interview down in, in Tucson. I lived in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, and all, all the movies I really did. Beastmaster 2 is the only movie I think I worked on that was in Phoenix. You know, I did some HBO stuff or whatever and some commercials, but that's, you know, whatnot here and there. Um, they did an Italian Kodak commercial right, to make a, a futuristic land speeder that was, uh, they, they asked me to design and build like a futuristic Porsche for these Italian actors. Well, the actors are 29 inches tall and they were in their 20s or 30s. And so I had to scale everything to make them look normal height. And, and their slogan was Chicky Chicky Kodak. And they, and they would fly all over the universe and take pictures and stuff. So we ended up doing that crazy thing. But from Beastmaster 2, I got called up to go down to Tucson to interview for Young Guns 2. And so I got the job there, but that thing wouldn't start for another couple of weeks. And, and that was in Santa Fe. So I was going to be on the Santa Fe crew in New Mexico. And um, so the sets that I was watching them film in Tucson. So in in, in Young Guns 2, so the opening sequence where Billy the Kid gets shot in the leg. And he, he rides in, he goes into Beaver Smith's pub. The interior, the, the exterior of that is old Tucson, Arizona, I believe. And... Um, and then a month late, month and a half later, he, the whole crew cast shows up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we've built the interior of the set inside an old big warehouse. And uh, so he has to continue that scene coming in the door. And now he's a month and a half later, or whatever it was, month or something like that, in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. <laughs> so it, it's kind of, it, it's interesting to get that kind of background and, and knowledge of how films are going. They're not always filmed in sequence and, oh, wow. and in the same locations. All right. Well, I won't take up any more of your time. It's very good to uh, talk to someone who was who was boots on the ground there 
I'm, I'm sure people will find it very interesting. You probably have so many stories, but that, that'll do for today. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it's fun to talk about old, old film days. It goes way back and, you know, I've done a lot different stuff since, but um, I, had, I had a lot of fun for about seven years traveling around doing motion pictures. Excellent. Well, that's Hans Gilsdorf, ladies and gentlemen. Back to your regularly scheduled episode. I remember uh, when I worked on Turtles, um, I can't remember if it was Turtles 1 or Turtles 2, I worked on both of those, but um, Ninja Petey was our set dresser. He was a head set dresser. And he always had this thing. He's like, because he always, like in North Carolina, Crocodile Studios, he did a lot of low budget films. He goes, I've, I've killed off more naked women in bathtubs than you want to know. Because <laughs> he's like, everything was like murder, slash and kill, you know, the cheap films of the of the, of the time. And, and, he, and I thought that was pretty funny that he's, he would, that was his claim to fame. Because <laughs> he goes, I've just worked on a lot of low budget films. <laughs> There's a lot of them. There's a lot out there. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that you got a, some random stranger wants to talk to you on this podcast and you went with it so oh no that's cool i i, I love talking about that stuff and um you know and, and kind of like when i was first talking about this you let kids know it's like sometimes you just have to take chances and you know we road trip out there and we're giving it all to see if we can get on there and you, you know we got the break and next thing you know you're working on it and then i work on ninja turtles too and then I was in the movie Glory, and you know, you just kind of the whole range of different things and young guns, and yeah, I got a lot of great stories about Glory. You know, if you ever get that one. <laughs> See, and Ninja Turtles knock, knock, knocking Matthew Broderick off his horse—that was one we really <laughs> got. <in trouble> for. <laughs> Ninja Turtles too. I'm a weirdo who, and it's been a while since I've watched watched it, but certainly when I was younger, I actually prefer. Most people don't. I preferred Ninja Turtles too because it was closer, I felt like it was closer to the cartoon in spirit. It was a lot goofier. Yeah. Most yep. people are like, that yep. was stupid, Vanilla Ice. But like, yeah, okay, Vanilla Ice. But I don't know. There's something about the second yeah, one yeah. that I I kind of liked it, always liked it more, so. Yeah, Vanilla Ice was, he was too cool even for himself. Um, I believe he, it. He was, he was an odd duck, and he would take a limo from the set to the catering, you know, where the craft service building was and and he'd take the limo back and then we were there for his 21st birthday and we we had to stay far away from the guy and we were all like we don't want to be here in the first place but they made us all be there to help celebrate his birthday and it was like ugh. <laughs> he was a character wow. you know but yeah, again you know it's like iconic 80s stuff that you're glad to be a part of or 90s you know whatever that was filmed in um it's cool wouldn't change it definitely yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, sir. Yes. Thanks, you. Have a good, good day. Idea. Bye. Happy do. Bye. So they um they retreat to April's farm. She has a family farm out in the uh, upstate New York or somewhere outside the city. Well, I guess she said it, that it's only eight miles outside the city or something. So it's not that upstate. But and they've gone there to hide from the Foot Clan and for Raph to heal up because he's still sort of unconscious they put him in a bathtub with some water hoping that, that will speed up his healing i guess yeah and this is where april has one of her her narrative sequences where she drops a lot of exposition about what the turtles have been doing and etc etc and it's again it's another really cool sequence where we see april um doing some pencil drawings and then those pencil drawings fade out into the shot and so again the the director has some really clever camera work and it's a it's another really interesting sequence the way that they use the pencil drawings as kind of a wipe to fade into the shot yeah that's it's definitely the guy who made the aha take on me video because it's kind of the same 
<laughs> look. It's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a scene with Splinter and Danny that's kind of it's kind of the deepest, most emotional, unchildlike scene in the movie where Danny comes in. Splinter's been tortured and he's hanging up on in chains back at Foot Clan base, and Danny's kind of sheepishly comes into the room and Splinter's trying to talk to him, you know, about like why are you here? You're better than this, you know, and, and Danny's like, I, I have nowhere else to go. My dad doesn't give a shit about me. And Splinter says something about like all all fathers love their sons or something. Like it's a really like they really tried to plumb some emotional depths from this rat puppet, and it works actually pretty well, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. All fathers care about their sons, and yeah, and it works on multiple levels because you know obviously. He's having a conversation with Danny. He's also talking about his own feelings. He cares about his own son. He's worried about them. So, yeah, it's a really, it is an emotionally heavy uh, scene in the film, and I think they did a really good job with it, you know, especially considering that, yeah, they're having a, a kid act against a puppet. Well, he's not a kid, but having a young man act against a puppet, they did a good job. Yeah, it shouldn't be poignant at all, but it kind of almost is. <laughs> like So, yeah, it's not bad. Back at the farm, Casey and April have a lot of sexual tension. I mean, the turtles <laughs> mention or reference moonlighting as a kind of what their situation is as a reference point. But, yeah, there's a lot of we don't like each other, but, God, we want to fuck. Like, you know, it's just in the air. Yeah, there's definitely some of that energy, like that, like, enemies to lovers kind of energy. Yeah, like we're in the transition phase. <laughs> yeah, they're always busting each other's chops. Casey and Donnie are fixing an old truck that's out in the garage and work because Donatello, you know, Donatello, good with machines, as the theme song yep. told us. Um, and Casey's kind of the gear at himself. So they're sort of bonding over that while also busting each other's chops with really silly nicknames they're giving each other. Raph finally wakes up in this bathtub and sort of reunited with Leonardo and they're hugging. And the others come in and see them and start making fun of them for hugging because god forbid <laughs> boys hug so raf's back on his feet <clears throat> it's time to start planning what are we going to do how are we going to get splinter back michelangelo walks into the kitchen and casey has given april a real nice back massage that she does not seem to mind and he kind of just Oop, okay and backs out of the room <laughs> yeah he goes in he grabs the he's got like a sore shoulder he goes in and you say, you want some ointment? And he says, nah, he grabs a turtle wax. He's like, ah, here we go. Yeah, turtle wax joke. But it's good that he want you would, you would worry that the 15-year-old, I don't know if hormonal is the right word for a turtle, but, you know, who's got the hots for this girl isn't like, get your hands off my woman. She's my woman someday. He's just like, good for you, Casey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> almost gives him the thumbs up. Like, I'll just leave yep. you to it. So they yep, know what's I'm up. It's psychic message time. The boys are sitting around the, uh, and by boys I mean the turtles, not the Foot Clan boys, sitting around a campfire on the farm at night, and the flame turns blue, which is a cool-looking effect, and the uh, very Force Ghost-like uh, image of Splinter appears in the fire to talk to them. The gist of that conversation, I do not remember at all. <laughs> um, he's, he says, you know, like, I'm proud of you for summoning me. You're all ready to complete your training. You've learned that true mastery comes not from the body, but from the mind. Um, and, you know, and then he says, you know, like, I love you all, my sons. And uh, it's kind of a culmination of, you know, their their journey 
as you know as like a family for them to all be reunited for the turtles to have completed their ninja training and they're now ready to become ninja masters so yeah it's 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 a really big moment in the film where we kind of shift gears from the turtles are regrouping to you know the coming scenes where the turtles go back to the city well and it's also i feel like a, a surprising for this movie for a movie like this for a kids movie that's fairly shallow this is a pretty good amount of subtext happening in this scene because it's without saying it this is splinter saying you're grown boys now your training is complete you have nothing more to learn from me and he's kind of saying don't come and save me it's fine if i die you guys need to be safe he doesn't say it but it's under the surface there i feel like which is you know, interesting uh, i i guess i've never gotten that but yeah that is an interesting take and you know that if if that's the subtext to that speech then that sheds a different light on it for sure i guess in my opinion this movie kind of takes itself seriously like even though it it knows you know its source material is a cartoon or a comic book a little bit of both um the movie it it never it never really lets that matter you know it, it takes itself seriously from start to finish and i i think that even though it is a kid's movie i think that that's another one of the really big reasons that it still holds up and i mean it's one of my favorite movies it, you know probably arguably my very favorite movie but <laughs> so i certainly am biased but yeah so that that scene in the movie being like as emotionally heavy as it is um combined with you know just the, the setup everything that's gone on to get to this point it's certainly the movie wasn't being lazy with its plot or anything like that no and i feel like it's surprisingly good at balancing its tone because there are moments that are very silly very much for kids that as a grown-up I'm, I'm kind of rolling my eyes at where they're calling each other silly nicknames or the like cowabunga tubular where they're right. you know coming up you know that's all very cartoony and very yeah. silly but then you also have yeah. these moments of like attempts at actual emotional depth and like maybe some darkness so it's i think they balance it pretty well without being like it doesn't jerk you back and forth in tone they kind of blend into each other pretty well yeah yeah there, there are emotional highs and lows and action highs and lows and maybe some of that some of like the darker elements of the story are probably things that were taken more from the comic books because the original comic books were quite a lot darker than the Absolutely. cartoon yeah and it's interesting to think I, most people probably know this but in case you don't listeners ninja turtles the comic started as a parody of frank miller's run on daredevil that's why they're called the foot clan because it was a parody of the hand so it was and their their art style was very similar kind of to frank miller's art in like with the ronin miniseries so it's an odd place for that comic to start from and then become what it became like it's interesting so they had the team heads back to the city back to the sewer where they find that danny is hiding he's come looking for them and they weren't there and he's been hiding at their place and then there's a real weird again with the yeah it's a kids movie but well it's also a sign of the times i think it is 1990 and this stuff was prevalent in everything but there's this weird homophobic joke where what is it oh casey doesn't want to be down the sewer he's like i don't want to be down here i'm going to go upstairs and sleep oh. in my truck and they're like oh you're claustrophobic and he goes hey i've never even looked at another guy which is a, yeah, dumb, a dumb joke to start with it also implies that not only is casey jones homophobic he's also not very smart 
your painting him is pretty dumb if he thinks that that's what the word claustrophobic means. So it's a stupid joke. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that they have that in there. It would, it kind of detracts from the movie. I mean, it doesn't kind of. It does. It it detracts from the movie. I mean, it feels out of place even for a movie from 1990, and that's saying something because, I mean, you could do that stuff. That stuff was everywhere. So I don't know. That it's distracting to say the least. So Casey goes up. He's sleeping up in the van because he doesn't want to be down in the sewer. So he and so he's the only one who sees Danny sneak out of the sewer and head back to Foot Clan base. So he's able to tail him. So Casey follows Danny back to Foot Clan's base. Um, takes out a Foot Clan guy and disguises himself as a, as a Foot Clan so he can infiltrate, so to speak. There's also, it should be noted, you said this is your favorite movie. My favorite movie is The Crow. And this set in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is, is I guess it's an old concrete, fa- or a, yeah, a concrete factory or something that where they have the Foot Clan base in this movie was the villain's base, the nightclub base in The Crow. The same same building, the same set, just redressed. And there's also shots like the shot of April's apartment building burning down is 100% the same back lot as The Crow was shot on. Like, as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, that's the build. that's like where the pawn shop was in The Crow. So that's interesting to see. Uh, we get more backstory from Splinter explaining what the relationship was with uh, Orokosaki and Yoshi, where Shredder killed... Well, Splinter's... Because Splinter's not Yoshi in this, like he was in the cartoon. But Yoshi was his master. Splinter Shredder killed his master's wife. And also his master? Oh, does he? Shredder was jealous of, of uh, Tomato Yoshi. Yeah, so Rokusaki was jealous of Tomato Yoshi's relationship with Tang shin and i i don't know if he killed tang shin that doesn't sound right but they definitely show the wife dead so shredder killed hamato yoshi's wife i just can't remember if he killed yoshi as well no because yoshi flees with his pet rat to new york and that's how he winds up abandoned in the sewers where they find toxic waste so we get that bit of backstory which is from the comics as well so casey has infiltrated foot clan's base but the foot clan has found their way back to the sewer lair and attack the turtles there. Well, Casey's there too, though. What did Casey do at Foot Clan base? Did he just break in and then leave? Uh, he so Casey goes to the Foot Clan base. He breaks in. He finds Splinter, doesn't he? Doesn't yeah. And he he rescues Splinter. When Casey's when Casey's down there, he uh he finds Danny and Splinter. Um, Shredder's lieutenant happens upon him and then casey fights tetsu uh and ends up knocking him out with a golf club and then tells all the foot clan kids because you know one of the one of the kids says you know like oh this is our family and he's like you call this family you call you call this guy that i knocked out down here family like and so he rescues splinter and you know like i guess we're supposed to assume Toxie's kids out of being in the Foot Clan at the same time. Yeah, or at least to temporarily follow, temporarily follow him because they follow. That's right. I I couldn't remember if Casey versus Tatsu was back in the sewer or at the Foot Clan base, but it must have been at Foot Clan base. Yeah, at the Foot Clan base. Yeah, because Tatsu Cause... before he before Casey finds that golf club, Tatsu is whipping his ass. Yeah, Tatsu's <laughs> winning the fight. He knocks Casey down, 
and he sees a golf club and he's like, oh, hey, my secret weapon. So he pulls it out and just turns around and smacks him like three times and tees off on his forehead. <laughs> so back at so the turtle back at the sewer lair, the turtles have defeated the Foot Clan that were there. But now they go up on the roof and Shredder is there. Shredder has arrived and it's kind of the big climax fight. It's the four turtles versus him and he is pretty soundly beating them. Yeah. All on he's his own. definitely winning. Yeah. Without question. Which something my dad pointed out to me is uh why didn't the four turtles just fight him as four turtles versus one guy? Then they probably would have won. You know, they they line up and fight him one on one, you know, until they each get beat. If they would have just surrounded him with four turtles, they they probably could have took him. Well, that's the martial that's martial arts villain or enemies in every movie. They always yeah. <laughs> all the like why do you attack one at a time? Attack all at once. It doesn't from Bruce Lee on down, that's how it's gone. Where one <laughs> they just line up and one at a time fight. So yeah. it's keeping in the tradition. I guess, that, I guess that's the Bushido code of honor, you know. It's like we all have to fight this guy one on one for some reason. But. That's true. Well it doesn't work out for him because he winds up with Leonardo on the ground with his own I guess it's not his own sword. He's got he's knocked all the oh he gets them to throw their weapons off the roof. Yeah. Because he's got Leonardo on the ground with a spear at his neck, threatening to kill him. Um, and then he taunts them like, oh, like you had you probably could have beaten me, but now that you're throwing your weapons away, you're all going to die. Yep. But Splinter arrives somehow on the edge of this roof. He must have climbed up the fire escape or something. Yeah, so when when the turtles all throw their weapons off the side of the roof, we see Michelangelo's nunchuck gets hung up on a, a rung of a ladder. Yeah. So it's establishing shot for what happens next. Yeah, Shredder is incensed to see that Splinter has escaped and charges at him and takes a header. Shredder takes a header right off the side of the roof, right? Well, yeah, so... Uh, Shredder's up there and he's like you're all gonna die now and Splinter shows up and catches him off guard and he's like death comes for us all but something much worse comes for you you know cause Shredder charges at him Splinter whips out the nunchucks that he got off that ladder that he climbed up and pulls Shredder over the side of the building and that's when he's saying you know death comes for us all but something much worse comes for you for when you die and then Shredder pulls a hidden knife out of his boot, throws it at Splinter. He dodges it, but actually he catches it. But in catching it, he has to let go of the nunchucks, and that's what makes Shredder fall. So he he kind of caused his own demise, I guess. Maybe that's what made it a kid's movie, is that nobody hurt Shredder. He, he was the reason why he got hurt at every step of the way. Well, and we also don't see exactly, like, we don't see him hit the ground or anything. We just see no, him fall. No, it's applied to a garbage truck. But, yeah, we don't see him land in the garbage truck, I don't think. Yeah, which works to their advantage in the next movie when they can say, oh, he survived because he, <laughs> we didn't kill anybody, don't worry, except that guy who got electrocuted. Um, well, because we he landed he in the garbage truck. truck cover. So, we, yeah, so Shredder's in the garbage truck. We see his helmet in there. And then Casey Jones presses the compaction lever or whatever and crushes his helmet. So it's kind of implied that Casey Jones killed Shredder, but <laughs> we know that because there's a second movie with him in it, we know that that's not what happened, but it is kind of almost implied. 
Yeah, and I don't remember how they wrote themselves out of that corner, but as of the end of this movie, it appears that Casey Jones has squished this man into a puddle of goo. <laughs> so, yep, in the back of a garbage truck. And he is rewarded for his murder <laughs> by being able to kiss, uh, kiss April, April O'Neil, which the turtles are all happy about, giving him the thumbs up, and that's it. We did it. We made it through the movie. That's that's where it ends. Happy ending for everybody. Until the next one, anyway, when we get some super shredders and vanilla ice and knockoff rock rocksteady and bebops yeah toka and rebar yeah they're kind of cool though i i'm a big fan of toka and rebar i think they're kind of cool i don't mind them they feel very much like uh characters in the cartoon yeah i don't know why they didn't just do rocksteady and bebop i don't know if it was like a rights issue or merchandising or something why they had to make up new characters but i'm not sure you know like they they came real close. <laughs> they just didn't they just didn't quite do it for whatever reason. Well, I think before I press the magic button to see what next week's movie, chosen completely at random from everything streaming as we do every week, um, before I do that, very important question: Which is your favorite Ninja Turtle? Raphael was my favorite Ninja Turtle. See, there's Raphael guys. There's a Michelangelo guy. I'm a Donatello guy. I've always been yeah, a Donatello my, guy. My wife likes Donatello too. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because the stick is like the non-lethal weapon. Well, I guess nunchucks are too. But Michelangelo's whole vibe bugs me. I don't care for him. But Tech- and then Eisenhower. Leonardo was always my second because he was like the leader and he was patient and smart. And... Yeah. Leonardo is probably my second too, frankly. But <laughs> um, yeah, everybody, everybody always thinks size are for poking and stabbing they're not their size aren't actually pointy or sharp they're for they're kind of just for smacking things with they're basically like a stick in your hand you use them for hitting things you don't use them for stabbing things you can poke things sure and it'll hurt but that's not like really what they're designed for yeah it's the difference between because you can clearly see the size in this movie are not they're very blunt they're not sharp at all unlike say like electra in the electra or daredevil movies where hers are super sharp yeah, so the size that are used in like the Ninja Turtles movie, those are real size. That's what a real pair of size would look like. And the ones in an Electra movie, those are movie size because size don't have points. They're not for stabbing. I was just saying, I'm sure you can get pointy size if you really want to, but like that's not a traditional size, I guess is what I'm saying. Has your lifelong love of Ninja Turtles led you to look into actual martial arts, things like that? Or oh, yeah. did you have yeah, a no, love I'm- of martial arts that transferred over into ninja turtles no it was definitely the ninja turtles came first <laughs> i was uh, a huge fan of ninja turtles at a super young age um and yeah i i've looked into martial arts and i've done martial arts and stuff like that i own a version of all the ninja turtles weapons i've got nunchucks and size and uh katana and i've got a bow staff and stuff so i mean i'm not like a martial artist i'm not like a triple black belt or anything i i know what i know but um yeah i like practicing with the different weapons it's fun and you know it i guess it keeps me entertained for if nothing else see they were not bullshitting you were the guy to talk to because <laughs> i don't know anybody <laughs> else with a weapon with a house full of ninja turtle weapons so that yeah worked I've, out. Got, I've got like ninja turtle clothes and ninja turtle i've got like all the toys i've got like Plenty of Ninja Turtles stuff. So, yeah, I'm definitely a Ninja Turtles fan. That's excellent. All right, well, it is that time for me to press the magic button and see what next week's movie will be. It is... What is this? Keep the Change. 
It is on Amazon Prime. It looks like maybe a romantic comedy. Let me look at the description here. It is about autistic people in love. Interesting. Probably not much to laugh at in that movie. <laughs> we'll see. But that's the nature of randomness. I get random movies and I don't get to pick. So keep the change is everyone's homework for next week on Amazon Prime. It came out in 2018. And we'll see how that goes. Any closing, closing thoughts? Closing thoughts from you, sir? Um, no, no, I mean, thanks for having me. Um, I had a lot of fun. Good. Um, yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed watching the movie and everything. I hope all the listeners enjoyed watching the movie. Um, if you guys are looking for more Ninja Turtles stuff and you don't know where to go beyond just the handful of live action movies, there's the Batman versus the Ninja Turtles cartoon movie. There's Turtles Forever, which is my personal favorite. Um, on Hulu, there's some Ninja Turtles cartoons. So especially the, uh, the 2012 cartoon that's CGI. That's a really, really good cartoon. Um, my wife and I are rewatching it just now. Um, so yeah, there's, if you're looking for more Ninja Turtles stuff, it's out there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Zizok. If you want to ask any Ninja Turtles questions, <laughs> happy to, happy to talk Ninja Turtles all the time for sure. So you're ahead of the game. This is usually the part of the show where I say, hey, where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram and things? But you were all over it without even prompting from me. So you you're, you're know what you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you. We I also, had fun. We also forgot to mention there was also there was a theatrically, theatrically released CG animated movie as well, just called TMNT, that I remember taking my kids yeah. to when it came out, which was yeah. pretty good that I, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, that one is pretty while. good. A lot more cartoony, the main villain who is voiced by, oh gosh, it's not Patrick Stewart, is it? I feel like it is. I think it is, because Sarah Michelle Gellar is April O'Neil. Yeah, I think Patrick Stewart is the uh, the main villain, and he's rounding up statues that he brings to life with, you know, magic. But no, it's it's a fun Ninja Turtles movie, and it's got some really good stuff in it. I recommend it. I, I mean, I recommend them all. Some of them may not be for you. Some of them aren't for me. But yeah. Uh, again, feel free to to ask me any Ninja Turtles questions or anything. That's why I'm here. Words to live by. All right, sir. Thank you again. This was fun. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And see you back here next week for one more time. We'll say it. Keep the Change from 2018 on Amazon Prime. Have a good week.